Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. I'm Theodore Lowry, and I like stories because they give different metaphors and lenses through which to experience life, and because in the places where stories overlap, we can find particularly fertile mounds of meaning. And I'm going to be looking at some of those overlapping places of stories today. That is to say, myth, personal myth, and collective myth. I'm going to be looking at two influential thinkers in the field of story who are very different from each other. One is Joseph Campbell, and the other is Joanna Macy. So Joseph Joseph Campbell, as many of you may know, uh, was a mythologist. He's best known for the hero's journey or the monomyth, something that's shown up in Star Wars and in many films. Uh, it's a multi-stage story that he says is found in all the world's mythological systems. So he's he says that he... Uh, extracted the stages of the hero's journey from studying thousands of different myths and seeing the commonality of the different uh, myths. So I'm going to be describing those stages in brief and then getting into them more later on in a way that you may have not heard before, even if you're familiar with the stages. So Joanna Macy, she is contemporary. She is an environmental activist, an author, a scholar of Buddhism, of general systems theory, and of deep ecology. So she speaks uh, about myth as well, but she speaks especially about the story of our times, or rather three possible stories that we have the choice to live into. These three are business as usual, the great unraveling, and the great turning. Again, I'll describe these in brief before we get into things. What's important now to note is that where Joseph Campbell describes a lone hero's quest in this hero's journey, Joanna Macy describes a collective story. So in this episode, I'm going to consider how the hero's journey and these three stories that Joanna Macy talks about can be mapped onto each other, especially moving toward the great turning. So allow me to explain. Joanna Macy talks about these three stories, business as usual, great unraveling, and great turning. 
and the business as usual. This is let's go on as we're doing. And as we're doing means industrial civilization, wars over resources, extractive economies, thinking that the economy can grow forever, a kind of materialism in the sense of denigration of traditional beliefs, indigenous teachings, wisdom traditions, seeing all beings as insentient and basically exploiting the world in order to gain more individually and for on a corporate level in terms of corporations and just going on with that uh, as if that linear path is going to at some point lead to all things good. The other story that she talks about is the great unraveling. And I probably don't need to say much about this. You can just look on the news. Coral reefs dying, rainforests dying, social systems breaking down, people losing faith in traditional religions, and on and on. Uh, Granted, the news is particularly biased towards stories that are fear-invoking. And there are other things going on in the world, but it's true. There is a lot unraveling right now. Hundreds of species dying each day. Ecological freefall. She also talks about the great turning. So this is turning toward a life-sustaining culture, a biodiversity-increasing way of living on this planet, which is not just about new technologies or you know new political systems. It's about a new way of relating to the world and not entirely new, more an indigenous way at the heart of spiritual traditions. This you can find, this way of relating to the world, seeing all beings as worthy of respect and being in reciprocal relationship with the rest of the world rather than exploitive relationship. So those are the three Joanna Macy, business as usual, the great unraveling and the great turning. So now I'll briefly name and describe the stages of the hero's journey. So this starts with ordinary world. The hero finds him or herself in some sort of status quo situation. It may be an unusual situation, but for them it's become status quo. And they're not fully satisfied in this situation. Then there's a call to adventure. So some circumstance or person will push them to leave their comfort zone and enter into an adventure which may lead to the fulfillment of their inner dissatisfaction. Then there's the refusal of the call. that The hero says, no, I better the devil you know than the devil you don't. I'm going to stay with my current situation, even if it's far from perfect. Then there's meeting the mentor. So the mentor is someone who will encourage or often push the hero into starting their journey and risking, risking their safety. Crossing the threshold, that's where the hero enters into the, into the journey. And then the main part of the journey is taken up by tests, allies, and enemies. So all that plays out in the course of a journey, who they meet, who they ally with, the problems they have, the things they need to overcome. 
then approaching the inner cave. They're coming to the heart of their journey and to the heart of the inner call that brought them on this journey. Then there's the ordeal, death and rebirth. They have to truly face externally the villain, you know, or whatever the, the big test is, and internally whatever it is they need to overcome to grow as a person. Then there's the reward, which is where they attain what they sought. And this could be bittersweet as well, but they, they attain that. Then there's the road back. So they're returning back to the world they came from. There's a resurrection where they're re-entering their community or a new community and return with elixir. So they're sharing what they learned in this whole journey, in this ordeal. Now, it should be said that Joseph Campbell's work is very influential, it's seminal, it's very helpful, but it's not perfect. Um, one thing, like Sharon Blackie, a mythologist of Celtic myths, has pointed out in particular is a very male-centered myth. It's not so much the heroine's journey, it's the her- hero's journey. And it's very individualistic. It's the hero has to go out and prove, usually himself, and attain attain a goal and then come back to the world. It's been pointed out this is in many ways a kind of adolescent male myth, attaining selfhood, attaining self-direction, coming to be an adult. And it's also been pointed out, and something I've noticed, that Joseph Campbell in some cases make similarities that aren't quite there. He wanted to see this myth in all cultures and mythologies, and so he might have bent things around a bit to make that myth happen. And he might not have had a full understanding of all the world's mythologies uh, and how they all tell this monomyth. Fair enough. But I think he made some very good points. This isn't to throw out Joseph Campbell. It's a, it's a good thing. But he was a man of his times. Um, he didn't have a full understanding of the world myth. Who does? So it's not a perfect map. But it's definitely a powerful story, and certainly we do see this story in a lot of myths. Now, I'd like to take this hero's journey, this classic hero's story, and match it with especially le- leading toward the great turning of Joanna Macy. So what if... Instead of the hero, you know, going to save the princess or whatever, what if the real goal of this story is actually to attain the great turning, to attain a life-sustaining civilization or culture on this earth, and that it's not just a hero doing it, it's not one person saving the day for everybody, but that this is something that actually each of us are faced with, and there is an individual component of what we're being called to, It's going to be individual for each of us, and it's something that we're all being called to. So this is my proposition, and I'm going to go through these stages of the hero's journey one by one and talk about how we might consider these in light of Joanna Macy's uh, teachings and in light of a collective hero's journey toward attaining a life-sustaining culture on this planet. All right. Hey, 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 oh.
So, coming into the first stage of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the ordinary world. Now, this really directly parallels the first story of Joanna Macy, which is business as usual, status quo. So, in our case, as a species, our business as usual is becoming industrial civilization. It's, of course, on individual level, we might not have so much conviction or faith in it, but it's generally how we meet our needs. It's how we move around. It's how we get the things that we entertain us. It's all based on this extractive industrial civilization. And this has to do with survival of the fittest, with competition, with seeing nature and other people and other creatures as resources. Uh, it has to do with linear progress, evolution, growth economy, like this. And it has been catastrophic, cataclysmic, apocalyptic, really. I mean, you look outside and the sun still rises and everything, but if you hear about the breakdown of the ecology of the world in particular, and of the cultures of the world, of the old-growth forests and the old-growth cultures, this capitalistic, colonial, really extractive, dominating push that we've seen, especially in the last 500 years, is incredibly destructive. So, like in the hero's journey on an individual level, the hero feels a pinch that, oh, something needs to change. I think just about all of us have this sense that this isn't okay, something needs to change. So then there's the call to adventure. And what is this call? For us, it might be hearing of disasters and breakdowns on the negative side, hearing of coral reefs bleaching, of rainforests on fire, of civil wars, of running out of oil, of billionaires making bunkers so that they can leave when everything breaks down. These are all calls to adventure. These are all signals that something has to change and we're involved in it. And on the positive side, we see wisdom teachers from different traditions talking about their teachings and how we could live and how people have lived and do live and a way of living in the world that is life-sustaining. There, there's We've never had more access to the world's wisdom teachings. These are also calls to adventure, calls to step into what we could be. And children protesting on the street for their future, this is also a call. This is like a slap. Wake up. Extinction rebellion. These kinds of things. They're calls. And then refusal of the call. That no, let's just go on as we're doing. It's very hard to change the way that we live to such an extent as is being asked for. Really, this call to adventure is asking us to change every aspect of how we do things in the world, pretty much, in terms of our economy and practical things, how we relate to each other. So this is no small change that's being asked of us. So this refusal is understandable. And we might point out 
statistics that say, look, economically things are improving and people have come out of poverty and it's very good. And of course, there's merit to that. And hopefully we don't lose that all over the world. But there can be an ignoring of the fact that all our economic growth and our technology and our communication has been at the expense of ecology, which is the foundation for all of it. And if ecology fails, it all fails. So we're looking in a superficial way at improvements and not seeing that what it all depends on is breaking down. And also this refusal of the call is understandable because we've come to depend on this system. We're no longer, for the most part, at least in first world country, I'm speaking this from Canada, mostly we're not self-sufficient villages. We have become dependent on the grocery store, on the bank account, on the digital currency, on the internet for speaking to people. So our needs are and our wants are caught up in this industrial civilization. So there's a kind of conflation of these two things that, oh, if we change everything, if we you know leave the way we're doing things, this exploitive way, then we'll won't have the things we need. Instead of thinking we can meet those needs in another way, and that we could have more modest desires because you know, it may not be that we can just switch over to green energy and keep the whole thing rolling. But ecologically, things are breaking down. The Titanic is sinking. And that refusal of the call is the people in the Titanic saying, oh, let's, uh, let's dance and entertain ourselves, frankly speaking. So meeting mentor is the next stage. Meeting of the mentor. So who is the guide? Now, as we're speaking about a collective story here, not an individual one. The guide is also not one person. It's not Jesus coming back. It's not just Buddha coming, you know, returning or the prophecies of one religion or another coming to fruition and everybody should just become this religion or that religion and, you know, it'll be fine. The mentor is also collective, which is to say, there's teachings from many different sources. So there's indigenous teachings are coming to light from all parts of the world, including places that we don't think of as having indigenous teachings like Europe, but everywhere has indigenous teachings, has indigenous history. So these teachings are coming to light and they're about living in reciprocal relationship with what we call nature, uh, which is to say the rest of the world. So seeing ourselves as part of the world being in a healthy relationship rather than trying to exploit everything. And our mentors are also other wisdom traditions and also scientists who are telling us, oh, this is coming, this is how we can change to avoid it. Also, our better judgment is a kind of mentor. And also children who are looking at what's coming down the pipe for them in the future and crying out for a different way to live and trying to demonstrate that, trying to live into that. New ways of doing businesses, new ways of doing everything. The earth is a mentor. The forests and the ocean, if you go to a place, however small it is, where there's some trees and some water, you can receive some wisdom. And you could say God in our heart. And 
old scriptures are also mentors. We can receive from all these places, which isn't to say that we become kind of watered down and cultural appropriation in this, but we can listen to what's being told us from these different sources, which are more available to us, reaching out to us more now than perhaps ever before. The next stage is crossing the threshold. So this is when the hero in the story steps into the adventure and leaves the status quo behind. Now, this can happen in small and large ways. It might be that I'm looking at the situation in the world and all the destruction of nature and thinking, why well, we just can't live this way anymore. And I think, okay, I won't fly. I'll stop, I'm going to stop flying or I'll fly less or I won't drive as much. I won't eat non-local food or, or try my best in these ways. So I make some resolve that I'm going to change the way I live to hurt the world less and to steal less from future generations. So this can be individual small things. It can be collective decisions like the government may say, okay, no more old growth logging. And that's because of a lot of individuals putting pressure on them. I heard an interview with a man a while ago who chose to live without money because he felt the whole financial system was flawed. And then later on, he chose to live without technology that's not sustainable, which is to say he doesn't have electricity because he says even solar panels, you know, they have to do mining. There's no sustainable solar panel, really. And he reads books and he has a fireplace and he doesn't even have plumbing. He goes and gets water from the creek. And he says he's never been happier. He said he's, he says, I'm probably a bit crazy, but I've never been happier. So we think we need these things. Again, like the hero thinks he or she needs whatever it is in their life that may not be very helpful for them, the secure job or whatever. Um, like in the Matrix movie, you know, he's like stuck in this cubicle job and then he's the call to adventure. He's like, no, I don't want to go. But at this point, a person crosses the threshold. So it's where some resolve is there, some some action is taken, whether that's joining an organization that you feel is helpful in this way, or attending a ceremony, or making a resolve to do some harm, helpful action or not do some harmful action, whatever that is. It can be small or it could be really large. It could be a full dedication of one's life. It can be incremental or it can be so much all at once. But this crossing the threshold is like, yes, this is serious. Um, I'm not going to stick with the status quo anymore. We're facing ecological breakdown around the world, and I'm going to do what I can about it, even if it's super inconvenient. Next is tests, allies, enemies. So this is kind of tricky because on, on an individual level, in the individual hero's journey, of course, the hero would face different tests and meet allies and have enemies that they face. But as I see it, and as many people see it, we're not really looking at external enemies, but systemic problems. So we could say, oh, you know, there's, what do you say? There's no external enemies. What about Bolsonaro or, you know, uh, supporting the burning of the Amazon? What about the CEO of an oil company who's lied about climate change 
for decades or many other things, people who've done really uh, terrible things. But we might ask ourselves, well, what is it about our cultural systems? What is it about our social systems and our economic systems that allows and rewards people like that to do what they do? So why, what is it? How is it that we have a system where a person can become a billionaire by highly extractive activities? Why is that even possible? Of course, it's going to attract people who are willing to sacrifice their personal integrity to do that, to become unnaturally wealthy. So why do we have systems like that? So these are just actually systemic problems. And so the villain is not really this person or that person, because if you take down this CEO, that politician, somebody's going to spring up in their place. So this is tricky. We actually have systemic problems. We have problems with the consciousness of our species, with the systems that we've created out of that consciousness. So it's no small thing to really look at all this, and there's no solution that sort of pops out like, oh yeah, we'll just got to do this, and then it's all fine. Just to, just to face it, you need some help. You know, there's grief circles about these kinds of things just because facing the difficulties that we have in the world and in ourselves and our species is no easy thing. So this is facing tests, allies, enemies. So allies, that might be our mentors again, uh, people who are going through it with us. And the tests are not just things, random things happening for no reason, but we do learn from them. So there's kindness in this. And yet it's very difficult. The next stage is approaching the inner cave. So this inner cave, we might see that that's where a healthy way to live on this planet is located. That's, that's in that cave, that metaphorical cave, that's where we come more to ourselves individually and ourselves as groups. That's like, oh, now we're starting to get it. That's the place where we're taking those wisdom teachings to heart, where we're hearing the call of the earth, the call of God, and following that, living in a, a better way. But there's, there's a lot to face before we can really get to that. And, you know, small changes aren't going to be enough. You know, like we're talking about things we can do in our lives. It's great, but we need a full-scale change. You know, just switching to green energy isn't enough. We can't just switch to a different technology and keep living the way we live. Not not the way I see it anyway. So the sort of Jetsons future, the Star Trek future, the American way, the liberty. We need to face the possibility that that's all a bunch of BS. That's not going to happen. And it wouldn't even be good for us if it did. You know, the ultimate technology, convenience, overcome death, you know, any entertainment at any time. Maybe all of that just needs to be let go of. And we need to look death in the face, our own individual death and our cultural death, and come to terms with that. This is, this is initiation as individuals. This is initiation as a species that we may not continue, that we may find no way to continue certainly the civilization or even as a species, that this is possible. And yeah, again, this is something to be done with help, to face this, to be done with help. It's no joke. 
Uh, the next stage is ordeal, death and rebirth. So this is where the hero faces their the greatest ordeal of the story. They're tested. Everything everything they've come to bring to this stage is tested. Everything they've learned is tested. And you know, in the in the in the myth, this is one part of the story. But we may be tested in many different ways day after day. And we may be already going through those tests. And some of us may have gone through some tests and others have yet to go through them. Some of us may have faced death of our descent of civilization and death of ourselves more than others so we can help each other. But this ordeal, this is, there's a lot to face at this point in history. There's facing colonial history that, you know, many of us are living on land that was stolen by our ancestors, myself included. So facing this colonial history, I mean, recently, Kamloops, which is just near where I live, they found the unmarked graves of more than 200 indigenous children who died in a boarding school where the priests and others were meant to be taking care of them but they're actually kidnapped from their homes and, and taken there, and many of them died of, of abuse. So this is colonial history. This is this is part of, here I am in Canada, what we say, this is the Canadian nation. We have this sort of friendly international reputation, but this happened in Canada, you know, up until relatively recently, like more recently than you would like to think. And you know, the United States and South America is full-on violent history. And here we are, you know, not personally responsible for those things. Most of them happened before we were born, but they're still happening and we're still responsible for them. So we're dealing with this legacy of intergenerational violence and intergenerational trauma. And, you know, it's not just those who are on the traumatized side, you know, we would say like the the colonists and the colonized, it's not just the colonized who have trauma. We all have trauma. We have generations of trauma coming to the surface, asking to be dealt with. So this is ordeal. This is death and rebirth on an individual and a collective level. We're seeing that our individual trauma is so much connected with collective trauma. You know, I heard it said, um, by a lady who's doing some wonderful work in jails uh, with traumatized people in jails and helping with healing in, in those situations. And she's saying that, you know, we think these, oh, these are the most violent, bad people in society. She says, no, these are the most traumatized people. And their trauma is indicative of the trauma of society as a whole. You know, why are these people in jail? because they grew up with abusive parents, because they had to turn to drugs, selling drugs at an early age, and many other things. Why? Because of what they were born into, not because they're intrinsically bad people at all. And she says there's a few people that really are dangerous to have in society. They seem to be not possible to rehabilitate, but most people are just deeply hurt by the world they were born into. And it comes out as violence or theft or, you know, drug dealing or whatever. So these are things we're facing. 
and you know the lies we've received and propagated in religion and science you know seeing the things that have been done in the name of god and yet for many of us remaining spiritual people believing in god you could say um but facing all the things that have been done in the name of love and god it's horrific and you can't just roll on without facing this stuff you know it's again not just about oh we got to do like solar panels instead of coal for our electricity or you know well the government's going to say sorry to indigenous people it's like these things need to be looked at or we can't really move forward or deal death and rebirth so there's a loss of certainty in this that you know the kind of pat story that i'm telling myself you know religiously or science has it figured out or theist or an atheist or whatever it i am i kind of have my explanation it's all up for question the lack of certainty and in there maybe can come a real asking from the heart okay what then if not all these sort of answers we've pieced together then what and so then reward is the next stage and of course this you know can't be just another pat answer but perhaps a dynamic relational truth that's beyond anything we've clung to for a sense of security and certainty so michael mead mythologist he talks about I'll just throw this in here three stages which is he calls it like the i'm okay you're okay stage how are you i'm fine stage which is like the civil stage everything's like okay but there's monsters underneath the surface and then things start things start to break down and then you know everything's chaotic and then there's the third stage which is a new deeper grounding and this happens continuously it's a cycle so this reward would be coming to a genuine deeper understanding or relationship with truth than before but in between there's this uncertainty and this loss of control the next stage is i'm going to put together there's the road back resurrection and return with the elixir so this what's the return look like okay so if we if we have this new and deeper understanding what does that look like what does it look like in our relationships what does it look like in our governance systems in our relationship with with uh what we call the natural world like the world and what technologies do we choose and what do we not choose what boundaries do we put up what what do we allow in there's a lot of practical considerations so how does our new understanding translate into decisions and actions and conversations how do, how do we relate with the forest the oceans with other species um people i've heard talk about like tyson yung kapora among others talking about a 500 or 1000 year international cleanup restoration project which i find very appealing like to turn this momentum not just stop you know we got to get co2 down to zero and then we'll be okay no reverse instead of being exploitive to be a regenerative force on this planet instead of being warring to be peacemaking instead of being traumatizing to be healing actual 
entering into the positive and taking from the past, from our understandings of the past, all that which is good and useful and leaving that which was a result of trauma and misunderstandings in the, in the times that those teachings came from. So then return with the elixir. This is, this is now for the benefit of the world. What we learned, to give it for the benefit of the world. And that's the last stage of the hero's journey. Uh, <laughs> kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? I think like mythology, um, you know, stories, Star Wars, hero's journey. It's uh, light, but actually it's quite heavy. And of course, we live in very heavy times and also very joyful times. Coming back to Joanna Macy, you know, this is all about the great turning, this this hero's journey toward a life-affirming culture on this world. And there is a lot of life-affirming activity going on. There's a lot of people striving towards this in very wonderful ways, which you won't see much of on mainstream news, uh, not just because it's like a big conspiracy, uh, though it may be, but... Um, because these things don't grab our attention in the same way that fear-based news does. But there's a lot of amazing stuff going on, a lot of communication, a lot of reconciliation with the past, um, a lot of people doing very wonderful things. So it's not a hopeless situation, and it's not something we need to go through alone either something we can reach out and seek help with and join others who are doing what we feel should be done in the world. But now's the time. Now's the time to answer that call to adventure uh, individually and together so that we can try, and no one knows if we'll succeed, but that we can try to move the way we do things on this planet towards a life-increasing culture that we humans are not intrinsically bad, that we humans are meant to be biodiversity increasers, that there's more diversity of life in our gardens than even in the forest around. And stewards of the earth, orchestrators of life, we have an amazing place on this planet. And even as the planet suffers and fails, we learn more about how wondrous the planet is. Just like a person who's sick learns more about what health is than if they hadn't been sick. So we're learning so much spiritual, ecological, cultural wisdom at this time. And there's a lot of people putting into practice. It's not that we're, you know, everybody's just sitting around frozen, although some of us are. And some of us are probably, even those who are doing a lot are probably really daunted sometimes too. So it's like, okay to be afraid. But let's do it. Let's try. It's like, as I see it, this is the quest. This is the quest of our times. This is saving the world. <laughs> or at least facing the death of the world in a dignified way and growing from that. Thanks for listening to the Story Paths podcast. If you liked it, feel free to leave a review and share it with your friends.
Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.